1: This is for the passionate Seahawks fans. The ones who care about scheme more than hot takes. The, the, the ones who want X's and O's and not talking heads from the eye in of the, the sky. Scott, yes, this, this is it's Seattle Overload.
0: Seattle Overload.
1: With your hosts, Matty F. Brown, Griffin Sturgeon, and Ty Dane Gonzalez. Let's go!
0: Welcome to the Seattle Overload podcast where Griffin and I are going to be previewing the 2023 Seahawks season. However, we're doing this through the lens or the, the, the method of an, a mailbag. You guys have given us questions, and we're hopefully going to provide good answers. 61 questions. So it's going to be a long one, but I think in a bizarre way, this will keep us more structured. And then on Friday, we have a very exciting guest who's going to also help us preview week one of the season and where, and also the Seahawks season overall. But this is the mailbag. Griff, are you ready to mailbag? Have <clears throat> you ever mailbagged?
1: So you're using mailbag as a transitive verb instead uh-huh. of a noun. That's right. That's a common thing in the English language where we verbify nouns. Like most other languages don't do that. Isn't mm. that fairly unique to English?
0: Well, and is it also just to sell products?
1: maybe but I think it's a cultural thing okay you know what L- linguists in our audience let us know in the chat yeah yeah it's unique to the English language where you verbify nouns
0: like comment subscribe
1: like comment subscribe <laughs> there check you go. out Maddie's okay. Patreon and Substack
0: yes first up overall CJ Brown asks, what do you think Seattle's record will be if A, B, or C? So, A, Gino plays worse than last year. Now, worse than last year, that's quite a broad thing because it could be, like, abysmal, right? But it could be maybe a slight regression. But, Griff, run with that. If
1: he's intrinsically worse in, in the attempt to isolate his play, irrespective of supporting cast, which you can never completely do. But if he's just intrinsically worse, I still think the talent around him is such that if he plays worse than last year, like say he's like bang average, like the, the 16th best quarterback in the league, I think they win nine games. I think they go nine and eight again. Um. So that's, that's how I view um, question a or part a of question one.
0: Yeah, I I think I'd maybe suggest they have a, a losing record, but they have made improvements in other areas that are noteworthy and which we'll cover. Um, so then, B, what do you think Seattle's record will be if Gino plays roughly the same as last year?
1: I mean, it should be. A little, I put the over under at 11.5, 11.5 wins.
0: Yeah, I think I think ten wins you can feel very very good about. If they if he plays roughly the same as 11. last year, you know, and they they haven't improved in the areas that we expect them to, like compare the roster this year to last year overall, and and things look good. Obviously, there's some question marks that we'll talk about uh, on the interior defensive line as the main area, well, on the defensive front. But maybe we'll be able to alleviate those concerns. But yeah, with the kind of scheme tweaks with the defense and. Then the tools they've added on the offense, along with like just hopefully progression from certain positions, surely eleven wins is is a thing. Like, and then see yeah. what do you think Seattle's record will be if Gino plays better than last year? Well, surely twelve. <laughs> I think they
1: go twelve and five, probably. Yeah surely yeah see uh, i i don't know is it, like going back to part b really quick if he plays roughly the same as last year over that final five game stretch where he tanks i'm not convinced that he intrinsically regressed his his output did but i think as a player he was the same like he was an independent variable everything else around him changed and then the offensive output changed and now that is as much an excuse as it is pointing out that he doesn't have the gross talent to overcome all those things working against him at once. Whereas there are differently styled quarterbacks, primarily the elite creators that can still thrive in that area. Gino over some of them with a good supporting cast, he can do better with a good supporting cast than maybe some of those other quarterbacks can. So it's all skill sets So, I mean, in my view, I, I don't think the team is going to face a, a supporting cast regression that it saw over the last month and a half of last year, this year. So if that happens, I would just expect the output from the first 13 week, weeks to extrapolate over the course of the whole season. So in which case, if if Gino plays roughly the same, considering other things changing, I think that they might win 12 games on that alone. And then on top of that, can he get intrinsically better? I totally think that's possible, which really is just a matter of just being sharper, like here and there, really. Um,
0: yeah, I agree with the sentiment, and there's... Uh, opportunity later in the questions to dive into that uh kind of idea of gino's regression um now cj also asked alternative question but for the defense um i mean the defense playing worse would be catastrophic i think because they would have to be in shootouts pretty much every game the way that the defense played last year being uh, 26th in various run defense metrics really made things difficult for the offense and the complementary football that seattle wants to play and the kind of lack and consistency that seattle got but and and even if the defense played the same it's going to make things tough if the defense plays better than last year which we expect it only needs to be what top 10 griff top 15.
1: Yeah. And I think it gets there just by becoming average against the run.
0: Uh, yeah, that's that's I, sort of where I'm at with it as yeah. well. That that um has so many knock-on effects to this to the kind of overall picture that you just become a better football team. So it's probably worth like I mean this is complete nonsense math or maths, but it's probably worth like one, two wins, you know.
1: Yeah. No, I agree.
0: Okay, so Ryan Healy asks: Injuries happen beyond quarterback relative to position groups. Where the Seahawks most vulnerable should a starter or two go down mid-season? I will start off with that and say interior offensive line. Now I think this is a thing league-wide. Uh, John Schneider spoke about it in his press conference about how they kind of expected more offensive line bodies to be available, um, but teams are just holding on to them because there's so few in the league. You see every preseason how as you go down the lower strings. The defensive line has these guys in the third, uh, fourth string even who can have a bit of explosion and twitch and they don't even make the roster uh, or even a practice squad, whereas the offensive line is a bunch of guys who are struggling out there. They're just not the same kind of athletes. That, that And so when you look at Seattle's interior offensive line, if they have an injury at guard, you start thinking, is there a veteran they can call up who uh, can fit in? Um, you know, an, an old guy who can come back because behind uh, left guard Damian Lewis and right guard Phil Haynes, there's Ben Brown, who is a very recent addition. He's a guy who they would have been churning for. They didn't sign him immediately um, to their uh, active roster. Um, he actually signed to their practice squad, but they clearly, uh, you know, it didn't happen right after cutdowns. It happened a few days after because they were clearly trying to churn to find the guy. Um, he's main issue's been that he's been injured uh, throughout his career but you know he's a 2022 undrafted free agent with some experience um with the Bengals but uh they must have liked him in undrafted free agency last year because he hasn't he hasn't played for the Bengals in in real football he injured his biceps in 2022 preseason so uh <laughs> Like, yeah, he, he's a backup guy. And then Anthony Bradford, the fourth round pick this year, he just needs a year. Like it's pretty obvious from the preseason he needs a year. So I think the first interior offensive lineman up would be Jake Curhan, who the right tackle obviously played some right guard for Seattle um, at times last year and even the previous year. Is that correct? Um, yeah, and looks OK. But it's, you know, Seattle is not an exception league wide. Most teams are in this spot, too, but. It's just shaky. And when we saw the interior offensive line regress last year, the knock on impact on the offense was uh, very visible. Mm-hmm. And Gino needs interior offensive linemen. Like he, he's a pocket quarterback.
1: Right. And it's when, when you lose offensive linemen, it's not even necessarily the talent discrepancy between the first string and second string. I mean, certainly that. But additionally, it's you, you lose continuity. And continuity for the sake of it is always valuable to an o-line even if if you even if you have above average talent they can still perform better than they are if they can string together games together um so it's just really disruptive they do have some kind of uh buttons they can push levers they can pull where i mean uh the center brown their their starter um evan brown right that's his name evan and ben now i'm getting all confused evan brown obviously can play guard if if oluatumi is really impressing them in practice he could you could move brown to guard in the event someone gets hurt and then and then bump over to me up to starting center and he um, looked
0: um he looked okay in the preseason he didn't okay. he like he had some good yeah. reps but it's just the it's just more the enough. kind of adapting to working combos with his teammates and stuff i'd say um along yeah. with just nfl <clears throat> Mm-hmm.
1: ideally they just i think they'll be fine if they stay healthy but yeah if they don't that would be uh troublesome
0: Um, any other position groups, Griff, where, uh, Seahawks are most vulnerable should start or two go down mid season.
1: I mean, they're better off than most teams if they lose a corner or a safety, right? I mean, they, I mean, you, if, if you lose Trey Brown, you've got your fifth round pick or, or your, your fifth overall pick or, and vice versa, you lose him. You've got Trey Brown who started NFL games and won an intense camp battle, right? You've got like four safeties to choose from, um, I don't know I think uh I mean an
0: interior d-line
1: yeah I think that's where it goes right um you know with them with them and Maddie will talk about this because you've really been looking at it with them playing way more uh, nickel this year even more than the the two four five but with all the the necessary tweaks that makes it um sustainable they're going to be calling on fewer snaps from their total depth so because there's only two guys instead of three playing obviously we'll still see three but not as much so in that sense, if they lose a guy, you know, they could replace their snaps, maybe get a floor of play. But if you lose like Draymond Jones, that's gonna suck. Because he's the yeah. only guy that's giving you above average talent, at least in an obvious way. Um, so that would suck. Obviously, a linebacker, I mean, if Brooks goes down, I have concerns. <laughs> um, I think we have concerns. Um, if Bobby goes down, I mean bush was intriguing in preseason. he started nfl games before he's not nothing but you know you don't want to you don't want injuries there either so i'd probably go d line it's probably interior spots on both sides of the line right yeah guard, guard and um and d tackle
0: yeah and i think also you know schneider mentioned like he did with the interior offensive line and their. a Slight surprise at how teams held on to the guys, didn't cut anyone. He also mentioned interior D-line as an area where they might have been expecting one or two more dudes to become available. Obviously, on the practice squad, there is uh, Matt Gotell who showed some stuff as a nose tackle. There's still the unsigned Roderick Perry, who Griff, liked what you saw in the preseason from him, another kind of big nose tackle type. And um, Jacob Sykes is also unsigned, and he had some splash plays in the preseason as like a DN sort of type player. So those aren't guys you really want in action but those are the first guys I think Seattle would be calling up if they did have an injury or someone uh went down. So there's guys in their their contact book, their address book and maybe they make a move but I don't I don't think so. Um don't think that's going to happen. Um John Todd This is an Instagram question. Does your Instagram kind of uh Algorithm. I don't even go on Instagram much, but every time I I go on Instagram, it's like a video saying, would you rather this or this? And then a picture of like a mansion and like loads of Lamborghinis and watches. Hmm. Which shows Instagram doesn't know me very well because while I do like Lamborghinis, I have very little interest in watches. Anyway, Hmm. John Todd asks, 2023 Seahawks, would you rather? A, Hawks a top five rushing defense. You become rich. And the only dessert you can eat for the rest of your life is Skittles. Or B, Hawks are a top five scoring offense. You are famous. And you have to listen to Metallica while eating breakfast for the rest of your life. <laughs> I shouldn't have added yeah. a comma there because that comma implies that you have to eat breakfast for the rest of your life. But there wasn't a comma. So the the idea is that you, you listen to Metallica every breakfast. <laughs>
1: That's very interesting. Do um, you want to go first here?
0: Well, this is obvious to me. Hey. A. <laughs> because
1: defense... I mean, th- that that's I, me I, I like, like Skittles.
0: The... I'm, I don't have that big a sweet tooth. Um, I'm more of a savory guy. And Skittles are f- fine. They're fine. Uh, they're quite nice. The British ones <laughs> have a blackcurrant f- flavor, as I spoke about before, rather than grape, mm. which I'm on board with. The grape flavor tastes like perfumey... Um, Ass. It's not very really good. Um the and then the top five rushing defense, that means two extra wins at least. And uh wealthy. I mean I wouldn't be opposed. I could uh hire a chef to uh make me desserts which aren't technically no, desserts so like caramelized no. onions and stuff like that.
1: Oh, no, you can't you can't do that. That's cheating. Um yeah, I mean, my inclination is to is to go toward defense, right? But if you're famous, you can leverage that into acquiring wealth, surely. Um, surely, you know, I'm not a Metallica guy, but I'm not that's anti-Metallica. the that's the
0: thing as well. Yeah, like... my
1: my my uh my, my taste in rock is kind of more classic rock, and then the more like indie alternative stuff in the last twenty years. Same, you know, I I like the stuff that influenced Metallica, ACDC, et cetera. Yes. But I'm not, I for some reason, I don't like the derivatives as much. Um Which it's, like, Italica makes great music. It just doesn't appeal to me, right? I think um, we're aligned. I think we're aligned. But see, Skittles, see, that's where I, I actually do have a sweet tooth, but I don't like, like, fruit candy. I like, like, chocolate, peanut butter, like, just, like, very rich things. I don't like the fruit stuff. Uh-huh. So I'm conflicted. I think ultimately I go defense. Maybe I just... I don't have to eat skittles i just don't have to eat dessert you have to no, no no i can just forego dessert
0: oh but you've got a sweet tooth
1: i'll just i'll just use the um, those calories up on more like more steak or more uh more cheeseburgers that's or right
0: something. savory okay daily handoff asks who gets the highest gargoyle scale on the on this roster sorry gargoyle score so obviously the gargoyle score is an advanced metric developed by um griffin and and a lot of football twitter really now previous uh recipients of the highest gargoyle score include jordan brooks if we were doing it back in the day bobby wagner might have been a recipient So uh, although cam chancellor would have run him close yeah, yeah. um is is um is jake bobo a gargoyle no
1: no no, no. <laughs> why He's more like he, he's more like a um he's more like a tolkien elf you know he's more sinewy a little more you know he's kind of like the antithesis of of that you know um like can offensive players capable. be gargoyles no that's the problem that unless you the running backs can be gar- gargoyles
0: yeah like is marshall lynch a gargoyle kind of
1: y- yeah certainly i mean yeah. he might be the original gargoyle and 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 gargoyles are i think what they're they're, they're meant to ward off demons so oh, and marshall 100 does they they're, they're like they're like who you call to kill the boogeyman okay you know, they're like the John Wick of the um spiritual world um and, and like monstery world mm. so I feel like I feel like it's still Brooks is the number one Devin Witherspoon he's got gargoyle tendencies he packs a punch and is 180 pounds um now that doesn't mean you can be really good and not be a gargoyle like Tariq Woolen could end the year as the best player on the defense you the best player on the whole team I'm not valid, not most valuable, although it'd be close. But I mean, he theoretically could be considered the best Seahawk by the end of the season, right? And he would not be a gargoyle. Um, So, why is
0: he not a gargoyle? Well,
1: because when I think gargoyle, I think extreme amount of power output in a short area and you go hard in the paint all the time.
0: Yeah. Like, he's a bit more kind of finesse.
1: Um,. Yeah, he's I mean like he's very fast. He he you know he's tough, but it's just, you know, you can be fast and tough and doesn't make you a gargoyle. Like we got to you know, rules are rules here.
0: So, so Uchenna Nwosu is not a gargoyle.
1: Uchenna Uchenna is, Uchenna is he's more like a um he's like one of those knights that guards the castle. So he's really tough, he's really, you know. He he's 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 a he's a real tough bastard, but he's not a gargoyle, I don't think. Right,
0: which is why his his ceiling eventually is never gonna be
1: Well he he's he's uh he's you know, you probably stack him near the top of the tier three of edges in the NFL, which mm-hmm. is high praise. Those where, guys where make is, eighteen million a year.
0: In that position group, Dow Taylor is not a gargoyle, but Derek Hall definitely has Derek gargoyle Hall, tendencies.
1: Derek Hall is a gargoyle candidate. Okay, I
0: think I get it now.
1: Yeah, he's a gargoyle candidate. I um, mean, He's got height, weight, speed, power, passive power, or passive strength, explicit strength. Um, and
0: the other guy you haven't mentioned here is Jamal Adams.
1: Jamal Adams is our gargoyle who needs to get his feet under him a little bit. But yeah, he's a candidate. <laughs> he's a hurt gargoyle. He's a hurt gargoyle. It happens. Yeah, yeah. But okay. I think it would be Brooks, Derek Hall, Devin Witherspoon.
0: It, Draymond Jones?
1: No, he's kind of like Nuosu. He's 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 a he's an honorable knight, you know, manning his post. He'll let no one through, you know, and he 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 honors his. He's not gonna he's not gonna work outside the bounds of of his duties. He's going to do what has been asked of him. He's going to do it well. Whereas gargoyles, they descend down from like outside the castle walls and they scoop up the demons when they're not looking you know type of stuff they They, protect
0: uh english cathedrals
1: they protect english cathedrals they work in the dead of night etc etc etc
0: great okay Uh, another advanced metrics question from i can fly logan gilbert goat where is Geno smith on the kirk scale now this i believe refers to kirk cousins quarterback of the minnesota vikings the idea, Griff, uh, can you, can you sum up the Kirk scale?
1: So, so like the, the Kirk scale are quarter, okay. Per our, per our research on the sub quarter of atomic particle research project,
0: uh-huh.
1: um, conducted at the VMAC between 2020 and 2022, there was a study conducted that was definitely real that concluded that there's a class of quarterbacks that are like firmly above average, average at worse. And they're not anything more special than that. They're pocket operators. They work in structure. They have average arms, maybe slightly above average arms. And they're not particularly aggressive within structure. So they're not necessarily creators in structure. And they're mostly not creators out of structure either. So think Kirk Cousins um, below.
0: That's very crucial because before you said about that, I'd have been thinking Joe Burrow was that. But then Joe Burrow is very much not that because of Mm his Aggression and and right. want to extend the play.
1: So there are Kirks and then there are some quarterbacks that we might feel that are Kirk like but yet get elite output. That's where we get super kirks. And if you unpack the super kirks, because you know they register super kirk, super or subcord of atomic particles in their bloodstream, which again is very real. Um they're more like their kirk skill sets, but at least athletically, physically. But they have a much more aggressive mindset. They process faster. They can access more in structure more consistently. So like Joe Burrow to me is like the perfect example of that, Dak Prescott. And then some of those guys have a little bit extra where they can do a little bit more outside of the pocket, which is Joe Burrow, Dak Prescott, right? I think Gino is a super Kirk because like we've talked a lot about his arm, but ultimately, like you put his arm up against Kirk Cousins, they're pretty similar. The difference, like Kirk really doesn't have a bad arm. Like he has a good arm. But he just plays cowardly at times. And also, I hate him. He's not, he's also what he lacks is he lacks the pocket athleticism to reestablish his platform when he gets moved off platform. Geno Smith is not a great thrower off platform, but he has the athleticism to reestablish his platform when pressured. And that's really important. And,
0: and he also, the, the moving of, uh, uh, his lower body as well to, to, um, set that platform up right Right, like so many times it's thrown off a slightly more funky angle or platform whereas kirk just is crapping himself at that point and it's over
1: and and gino is big game hunting with a kirk arm he's very accurate too i mean like again kirk cousins can be very accurate kirk has can rip some throws when he wants to but gino is playing at his ceiling all the time he's game for it all the time so that's why gino and joe and Dak are super Kirks. Obviously, people are going to take Burrow over those other two names right now. I might take Dak over all of them at his best. But either way, Gino's a super Kirk. Where does he rank on that scale? If if Joe Burrow is a 1.0 super Kirk and I have Dak at a 0.99 super Kirk, I think Gino's a 0.91 super Kirk, which again is all very scientific.
0: Yeah. Well, that's good you've done the research there. Thank you. Um... And you're Certainly. offering this up for free, which is real insight. Thank you very much. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, Mark Bennett asks How much merit does the idea that Geno Smith will have many more interceptions this year have? Now, this is largely based around Geno Smith's uh, turnover worthy play percentage, a profitable focus metric being very high after, is it week six, Griff?
1: No, it's after week 13. He's like average. So, so weeks one through five, he's like top 10 in terms of, in terms of infrequency of turnover worthy throws then the middle section, the middle phase or middle third of the season, he's like 18th out of 36 quarterbacks. And then the last five, six weeks, he tanks, he's like at the very bottom. So there are three distinct phases going on and it correlates Mm. with other
0: things. And, and on, on the subject, uh, Gino Smith, last season, in total, he, he threw how many interceptions? Why well, can't... Well, I don't want advanced passing. I just want normal passing. One second, sorry about this. Great convoluted interruption here when I thought it would be simple. 11 picks he threw to 30 touchdowns, which, I, I mean, 11 picks is probably too high for Pete Carroll's liking in the end.
1: Yeah, but I mean that's still that. That's an interception rate of what, two percent? Yeah. on the dot.
0: So, but Griff, that, that, how, how much merit pretty, does the fine. idea have? I, I mean, in my in my view, uh, you know, it's never this simple. But you have to look at the surrounding context, the surrounding factors. Essentially, there's you know, and we're kind of overgeneralizing here. I you know, but like if you remember certain games as well. Receivers stopped making tougher catches. Uh, Receivers let Gino down. Um, Gino was at times trying to press too hard, uh, not taking... uh, You know, when a play was done, you know, the ball didn't need to go into certain spots. He didn't need to try so hard to make something happen. But really, the receiver injuries that Seattle sustained, along with their rookie tackles, having some tough learning moments, um, and the interior line uh regressing that all around him is more kind of valid than gino's play regressing like his process was the same process that we saw throughout it's just maybe with a bit more kind of trying to force the issue and
1: and maybe he should have changed like if you're going to critique him maybe he should have changed his process but like i don't think he intrinsically got worse you know, Aside from during really dire moments, he should make different decisions outside of the pocket type of thing. But if you're talking about trying to improve your team, you should be more worried about preventing things from getting that bad before you critique the decisions, what he's doing in bad situations. Yeah, make when you're in a bad situation, you're, there's not a good decision to be made. It's just how bad is the bad decision going to be, right? Yeah. You can cur- curtail that, but then invest in creating an environment that prevents those bad situations from cropping up so really and like over the over the the, the when the th- turnover worthy throw rate skyrockets in the bottom the last third of the season it's on throws only in the in the intermediate like uh, the 10 to 20 yard break bracket and think about the targets he lost Marquise goodwin operated in the intermediate very well tyler lockett is banged up he lost will disley who's catching most of his targets in the intermediate horse short and then the um, the pass protection um in um uh, uh re- regresses right and yeah. you need pa- you need like most of these throws are occurring when they go into drop back game when they're doing pure drop back and the protection has to just just uh you know uh perform up against the pass rush you know like it's you can't fake it with with play action protection and everything right um so what do they do they go and draft jackson smith and Jigma, and what's the number one thing he's good at it's operating the intermediate middle so i think just from that alone i don't i don't see the where where those turnover worthy throws cropped up i don't see the circumstances being what they will what they would need to be in order for that to sustain uh, for the turnover-worthy throws to sustain, I think they've rostered and schemes so that that's that won't happen. What what correlates with with those increases in interceptable passes won't be there. The circumstances will will take care of that, and then <clears throat> his turnover-worthy throw rate will follow accordingly.
0: Yeah, that's how I see it too. Um, and then Hawk Life asks, what will be the key to converting on third down in the red zone this season? Um, and Spaghetti Sandwich asked another big issue was the offensive struggles in the red zone. Uh, think we can expect any change there? My guess is that Zach Charbonnet was brought in with this in mind. So, for the context on that, Seattle's offense, uh, overall in 2022 had a 48.28% uh, uh red zone scoring percentage. So, on, on the red zone stuff and on, um, i'll find their third down numbers in a second but they struggled in both those areas and one key thing for me is if you read the uh ftn football almanac um is that how it's pronounced almanac yeah yeah nailed it there you're good smooth um seattle's one at one key factor to all of this is seattle's inefficiency running the ball uh particularly on first down and you remember kenneth walker in particular went through growing pains uh, but also the offensive line uh, had some struggles, especially against certain teams. So on first down, Seattle ranked third in passing, but they were only 24th in rushing. Um, Griff, what do you make of, you know, what are the keys to converting on third down and in the red zone this season? Because I bring up the rushing because, well, if you're in second and long, <laughs> and you're or you can only pass to which again an incompletion can happen then that suddenly makes that third down longer if you don't get the second down it's, to me it starts on first down
1: yeah yeah I mean the more successful you are in earlier downs the easier your third down will be um the, and and yeah they're going to gun run a little bit now and they the ended the year doing that while still keeping the pass rates high but they did infuse gun running so that they could restore balance to that formation which was especially important as they lost receivers and tight ends um but uh i mean that that might help a little bit i I feel like jackson's with Jigma is such a boon to that um to to that world the the schematic world like i mean you can run more concepts now more pure drop back concepts with him because i think i think he'll benefit Noah Fant and Will Disley will benefit Tyler Lockett just because you'll run plays for him where there are other players in the reg- in the progression. And I think that they'll also get more efficient targets um, in those contexts. So, And they were doing well on third downs the first seven or eight games and then it tanked. So I think it's more about just yeah. recapturing those circumstances and seeing if they can sustain it. Um, yeah, red zone, is- I mean... Yeah. Go so ahead. the
0: third down number I've got is thirty point three two percent conversion uh, percentage, which was twentieth in the league. So again, it really did tank. Mm-hmm. And then red right. zone, Griff.
1: Red zone. Um, I mean, is it a matter of like it's not like they were throwing a lot of fades to DK It just didn't work. They were they were running drop back in the red zone a lot a lot of the time, like like real progression passing. Um, there's a lot of mesh, a lot of double China, stuff like that. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's, I, I actually don't have a good answer for that. I think, I think part of it is, yeah, rushing, um, their short yardage rushing wasn't great. Um, and th- that's something that they definitely need to improve, but I, I, and the red zone, like how much of that is noise, right? I mean, when you're 20th, you're, you're closer to being clustered with the median than not. And if they can just be average there, I think they'll be elite outside of the red zone. So ideally, they just they just need to be average in the red zone. Um, also, Jackson Smith and Jigba, when isolated, because of his route running, like think whip routes, return routes. Um, that, that's that's one way to that's one way to get touchdown production out of route runners who are not necessarily go up and get it, guys. So. Yeah.
0: Uh, it's it's just crazy to me that uh, Kenneth Walker had a minus twelve point three percent DVOA last year. Like he was super, super inefficient. It it comes back to running for me, and I love how uh, Nate Tice on the Athletic Football Show pointed out that uh, going back to the uh, mention from um, Spaghetti Sandwich of uh, Zach Charbonnet being brought in with fixing those red zone and third down issues in mind. Nate Tice mentioned. Uh, that Zach Charbonnet was the number one FBS running back in success rate on first and second down. So, Yeah. I think it's a... just in, you know they had the eighth passing offense last year and overall, and then the twenty fifth rushing offense. Yeah, just boost the just boost one of them. It's it's very hard for any team to to uh, overcome that any offense. And you know, going back to the Super Kirk scale, Griff, the Kirk scale, right. Gino isn't. Right. Uh, he's ne- he's not a in the mahomes, mahomes where he can overcome and you can just do stupid crap he's a very good player but he's not he's not one of these he, what, he's, what, a, sorry, he's not a game breaker.
1: no mahomes is its own subcourt of atomic particle
0: ah you know my so Thank yeah
1: you. no yeah you're a mistake
0: yeah i'm still uh I, i'm less red in this subject no but
1: but yeah but gino is a very good player who can be even better and he's not a game breaker he he's he's he can be he can be an elite executor of structure and like any good team you need to have good structure if you want to go far occasionally you have absolute game breakers like like Patrick Mahomes like Peyton Manning like Tom Brady where you can have shoddy structure and you're still getting to the NFC or AFC championship game or the you know divisional round right um but Gino like give him a good picture and he'll he'll take care of the rest basically is the mentality
0: so Rabel Thanos, John Smith uh, on the running back subject asked, what's up with uh, Kenneth Walker's groin? He missed the majority of camp preseason two years in a row. With the same injury. Is this recurring like <laughs> turf toe turf groin? Uh, I don't know. I should probably ask. Um, I have no idea. I probably probably asked my uh, my source, but um we, we, don't, we have no way of knowing. What I'd say is they were very cautious across the board of injuries, and I'd expect him to play week one. So it's probably fine, hopefully. Right. Uh, no hands in the bag asked, do you guys think we have the center for the long-term future? Referring to, obviously, Seattle signing free agency to only a one-year deal, Evan Brown. And then uh, they also drafted Olu Oluwatimi on day three of the draft. So... We saw great things from Evan Brown in the preseason, didn't we, Griff? It's just whether he can sustain that. And then Olu looked solid enough, didn't he? You know, you don't know what that looks like. So early, but...
1: Yeah. Yeah, I really like the idea of developing centers and and then like and, and just interior alignment in general, whereas tackles, you want them out there as early as you can. Um, I think Evan Brown plays well this year, and I think he probably plays his way out of what Seattle... want to pay him they're going to have really really um difficult contract decisions to make uh, yeah
0: on that subject i think for him for seattle to actually pay a center a lot because they just do not like most of the nfl they don't well like all the nfl they don't really value the center position um and and you know if he he'd have to play super well for them to be like oh we need to bring him back over giving Olu the the kind of opportunity right. um and then if he played super well he's out of their price range so I right. just don't see it happening
1: I I don't think they would extend him more than three million and the thing with the thing is with Olu it's like this is perfect for him you liked Olu as a college player ideally he doesn't have to start year one I ideally he can sit behind a guy and if you trust your development he's there year two and you just live with the lumps of, of his first year starting and you just get the ball rolling for, for the future, you know. Then you've got two more years of, of, of uh, roster control with him at that point. Um, so I don't, I don't think, I think the the center of the future is on the roster, but I don't necessarily think it's Evan Brown. But I do think Evan Brown will give them exactly what they need from the center spot. Because remember, center only needs to be good enough. It does not need to be a dominant position. It doesn't.
0: Mm. So. Talking of the young guys, uh, Brandon Haddock, uh, a fish rival, Griff, they they ask, um, do we see Anthony Bradford as a legit solution at guard long-term? Can you teach a player enough when his glass appears so empty? I mean, that's pretty harsh, considering he's a, he was a one-year starter at LSU, um, and I imagine there's a lot of stuff he kind of has to unlearn and then stuff he has to learn. To me... Um, it's very. It's too early to say, but he has all the kind of athletic um traits. Crazy size, like he's probably almost too big right now. um There's no reason why he can't be a legit option at guard in a year's time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like. I like the idea of Bradford. I, I think it's the same thing with Oliver Timmy. I think he can be a solid starting guard. I liked him at LSU. He definitely was the best part of that O line, and that O line was a mess. Um, at LSU so I just like the idea of have him sitting on the bench and developing um, probably replace Haynes this time next year
0: yeah so on on the offensive line Mark Bennett asks, how confident do you guys feel about our O-line particularly your thoughts on our tackles do you project great things meh things well we project great things right I mean
1: you draft a tackle ninth overall, you're expecting great things. Yeah. I, th- I think I think Cross makes a huge jump in his pass protection. And he was already decent last year, like probably a bang average left tackle last year in protection. Um, the run blocking will never be – that just needs to be good enough from him. Um, but I think he, he can probably make the jump to like the eighth, ninth, tenth best left pass protecting left tackle this year. And,
0: um, and yeah, Camden asks um, what techniques does Cross need to work on this year to reach the next level and make good on his draft status. I mean, aside from the kind of run blocking, which I don't – he's never going to be like a real power guy. He's, he's always going to be slightly lighter than the, the biggest of tackles. Right. But um, the other thing I can think of is that kind of getting out to a wide nine pass rusher, like a super wide speed rush alignment – and don't get me wrong, the guys who have given him issues are really solid guys. In the preseason, we saw Sam Williams do it, um, but you know, the my mind mainly goes to the guys that the Jets have, and then like a Nick Bosa. Um, so. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's
1: it's the speed of power with him. And in college, when he would get pull-rushed, it was always like the first like uh, first couple drives in the game, and then it doesn't happen later on in the game because he learns how to read the rusher. Um, for him, he's gonna have to rely on his eyes to predict what's coming. Um, because I don't think he can just kind of get caught off guard and anchor. He's gonna have to be prepared for it, but I do think he has the strength to um the strength and the technique to to anchor down for that.
0: Yeah. Um so on the offensive line in the run game, we, we kind of covered the run game, but uh Kyle Topaccio. Um Topazio? Sorry, Kyle, if I'm butchering your name. Uh, They ask, can this O-line hold up in the run game? I know it's preseason, but we looked feast or famine on the ground. And Davey with the good hair seems a suspicious name. Uh, What are you expecting in terms of core run game concepts? So on the preseason, I can sort of say that while... You know, they, they're getting used to the blocking. They're getting used to fitting it up. They're getting used to playing football again. Um And Zach Charbonnet missed quite a few. Like, he's still acclimatizing. He he didn't honor some concepts. He missed some stuff which was there. It's just working out the timing of things and trusting his blocks. That was mostly what I saw. I, I think that's overblown, but then... You know, last year, the run defense stunk in the preseason, and we were like, don't worry, it'll be fine, and it wasn't. So, right. a yeah, slight concern, but to me, you know, you put Walker back there, you put the first string out there you, with more reps together, I think it should be okay, especially Walker in year two. <laughs> uh, Griff, core run game concepts, you mentioned more gun running, but it's still mainly going to be... Uh, Wide zone, wide zone, wide zone, right?
1: Yeah, it's uh, under center. It's going to be wide zone with the occasional duo and the occasional gap change up. And mid
0: zone, which does exist.
1: Yeah, well, well, mid zone, yeah. Um, And then when you go into shotgun, um, I mean, last year, their shotgun run game to start was only basically what really functioned as trick plays. Like if you get a pass rush front, trap the three tech type stuff, you know, run a little GT counter type stuff. Um, but then they instituted like real deal inside zone and stuff. Um, and, you know, if you do that, then you can play action in the gun. Like during that period, they didn't really play action in the shotgun. They did RPO a little bit. Um, but so um, I, I don't know. I feel like it's going to be the the core gun concepts are going to be kind of what I've already said with a little bit more of infusion of inside zone. Um, and that's where Charbonne will really make his money, I think. That's really, really... Because he's so good at feeling out the wash and, and like pacing that out and then hitting it um, <clears throat> on the bend read. Um, so I, I feel like it's, it's, it's going to be what the whole league runs, really. It's going to be primarily zone with some gap change-up.
0: Yep. Uh, I did see in the preseason some like guns, same-side power. I think there's going to be some maybe added wrinkles to try and get the gun game going. And obviously, same side power, maybe that's counter. But Kenneth Walker's expressed his love of counter-style stuff before. So maybe it's more in tune to what Walker likes that have had a year working with him as well. Um, what about pistol, Griff? Is, is pistol still going to be a thing?
1: I think so. Because also Charbonnet was was really effective uh, running mid-zone out of pistol at UCLA. And I think that was in the back of their mind when they took him too.
0: Yeah, the idea of pistol being is literally a halfway house between um, gun and, and under center. And, and you can kind of hide where the back is and, and what run mm-hmm. direction and you can break tendencies. And that was a really cool element to last season for Seattle. Mm-hmm uh right moving on from that receivers ma asks, what roles do you think the back three wide receivers uh derrick young who's uh currently on injured reserve cody thompson uh who-, who banged his shoulder in the preseason but is on the active roster and jake bobo can excel at of course, they were X, Y, Z, or Z in the preseason, but I don't know what they're supposed to do behind DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. And then Bielsa Hawk Hawkstrologer, asks, what do you see as Bobo's play quality stats ceiling for this year?
1: I feel like Bobo probably gets 40 targets. I think he catches 28 balls. Wow. Um, and he, you know, 10 yards, 10 yards a catch.
0: Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America a member FDSE. Yeah, I, but the, the thing with Cody Thompson and Bobo is I like Thompson will eat into Bobo's playing time and vice versa quite a lot. I think derek Young's slightly different because of how they view him as a blocker. And I think his usage, if he is able to come back, um, okay. His usage and the way he'll first get on the field is like special teams. And then for what he brings as a blocker, like almost a tight end body type. And a guy who, he's more of like a... You, you reduce him down to block duo. Uh, you, you hand it off to him on a sweep occasionally <laughs> to break the tendency. Whereas... Um, thompson's more like a big slot um kind of can play a bit of x and then bobo is very clever with how he runs his routes and understand space and gets open um and so he can kind of fit in where needed but basically the other guys obviously are gonna uh, compete with him but he's he's ahead of them right now um and we spoke about the josh reynolds analogy before he had Uh, 81 targets in 2020 in that Rams season with 52 Mm -hmm. catches for 618 yards, 31. Uh, No, uh, two touchdowns. There you go. And um, that would seem very high. If that happens, I think something's gone wrong. And the the other factor here is if JSN can stay on the field and his wrist is fine from here on out or fine as in he's playing and getting the reps, then Bobo shouldn't be playing that often because ultimately... Seattle, they found something with how they ran 12 personnel last year uh, as well. And the multiple tight end usage will probably dip if, if uh, JSN is healthy, but it shouldn't be like massively dipping. Like they used 12 personnel last year, 30% of snaps, um, and 13 personnel, so three tight ends, 11% of the snaps. So I think 11 will probably go up slightly, but. Uh, you know, still only three wide receivers, so yeah. that's something to be aware of. I mean, Reynolds is twenty nineteen season forty three targets, twenty one catches for three hundred twenty six yards and one touchdown. Maybe that's more like Bobo. We will see. Mm-hmm. Um, to the defense,
1: defense. This is a
0: spicy question, Griff, from Russell Wilson and pie carol would you fire clint hurt midseason under any circumstance if so what
1: mm, i don't know i don't think that's pete's style to make a, a move like that in season uh i mean he the performance might be fireable it, it could be bad enough or maybe it's fireable but i still want to do that i just don't think that's his style
0: <laughs> no Pete, would you drift
1: would i no no I don't, think, I don't think we'll even need to entertain the hypotheticals because I think the defense will be good.
0: The only circumstance I would is if, um, and we're, we should say we're not really fans of, uh, we like giving people the benefit of the doubt generally. Uh, and we also are sympathetic, I think, to coaches. But we would, um, I'd fire Clint hurt if they were, uh, if they started running a two-eye nose tackle all the time and it was just like last year. And they just completely went against all of what they'd established in the preseason with their in yeah. run defense.
1: Right. Right. Agreed. I mean, yeah, that would be very frustrating. It'd be very frustrating.
0: <laughs> yeah. Also,
1: if if they don't, if if uh, we just assume their coverage will be good, the way they're running palms, if they just fall flat on their face and like are bad at it, then what was the point of trying to make the run work if it came at the expense of pass protection or a pass defense but i don't see that happening i don't see why they wouldn't handle
0: uh clint hurt keeping his job after what happened last year and then like the signs of like what they've changed schematically this season i mean that speaks to how uh understanding and willing to develop um pete carroll is like he gave him a lot of rope last year and well um,
1: yeah sorry i didn't mean to cut you off okay, my bad. But like in, in a vein, the, the the scheme was certainly fired, right? But it just shows that Pete believes in the the person. Clint hurt the person. And he believes in Clint's ability to coach other things and and apply his football knowledge and, and IQ and all of his you know contributions in a different way. Um like Pete has used the term coach the coaches before. I don't know where I heard him say that, but he said it before. And like he's also like the middle month of last year will always baffle us because that's them saying that we'll just go back to what's worked in the previous season even of which you fired that guy, but this is working. We know it's working. And not only do we know it's working, we know that Clint can coach the crap out of that. Like he's can successfully coach that. So now they're embarking on, you know, a yet another tweak, another combination of things. And, you know, I, I think Clint Hurt can coach it really well and apply the scheme week-to-week week and game plan that scheme week-to-week. Week, so.
0: so Kyle asks, are we switching to a 3-4 with 4-3 personnel on the subject of new scheme? Uh, no.
1: I think this was meant tongue-in-cheek, though.
0: Ah, well, that's a good one. But it brings up that it is uh, – a. Very three four personnel, but the often you're going to see them in four down fronts, so it's like a hybrid scheme.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's just a nickel scheme. And then when they, when they, when the offense presents eight blockers or more, they're gonna just load up the box. That's what all they're doing.
0: Yeah, so on that topic, Seattle in the preseason, uh, they played nickel two four five personnel with like a most like all the plays basically it was an over front but with that one tech nose tackle not the two eye and often the nickel involved in the run fit or even the strong safety as well but more kind of um sound logical uh ways of defending the run but they played these nick that nickel 245 personnel 81.3 percent of snaps um and if you include their dime usage which is only five snaps that takes it to Eighty-three point six percent of snaps in a sub package world. Now there's deeper stuff. I have an article on that on Seahawks on tape. Um, my sub stack. You should subscribe, uh, delving into that. But essentially, they, you, you know, nickel is going to be the thing. Like they're going to be a big sub package team. But it's just the way they're doing it is a lot sounder for stopping the run. Indeed, they had like three and a half yards per carry over the course of the the preseason run defense. There's stuff they need to work on still, but it looks the signs are more promising um yeah and yep. it accents the edge group which is why they do it and on the subject of the edge group scott mayers asks who's going to start the two uh end spots i believe that means outside linebackers edges and liam hyde asks um of the three young edge players on the roster Daryl Taylor, Boye Maffey, and Derek Hall, who do you think will be the most impactful by the end of the year? And do you think the pass rush will be effective enough against elite offensive lines like Phillies and Dallas's to make a playoff run?
1: That's a loaded question. So obviously after Nwosu, it feels like Taylor is the default answer, but Mafi might have jumped him just via availability and showing that he can do it. Because obviously with Taylor we worry about the run defense, right? So I don't I don't know. Um of the three young edge players, really could be any of the any of the three. Um I feel like Mafe might be the safest, but I mean Taylor comes on so strong in the second half of the season as a pass rusher. If he can just put together a full season, it should be him. I think I think Derek Hall in 2024 could be the best of all of them could have had the best season of all four of them of the last three years I think that could be Derek Hall in his second year um, I don't know how do you feel about all that
0: yeah similar I think you know if you go by the book the starters the listed starters will be Boye mafe Eni, Chen, and the Wosu because mafe's played and he actually can be trusted to play the run and his coverage is okay he has real good movement skills he seems to have learned to use his hands a bit more uh and he understanding kind of the scheme of it um Taylor like I don't really know what you're going to get in run defense and the coaching staff might not know either but as a situational pass rusher he could be that most impactful by the end of the year like because you know if he gets loud at Lumen uh he can get the snap count there's no one quite like who has that on the roster that that first step um, right. Who is bend. approaching that? um
1: He's close. Yeah. But he, he uh, doesn't need to be a hundred percent of Taylor there because he can be ninety percent of Taylor's get off and bend. But he's 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 got all that at fifteen pounds heavier, which matters.
0: Yeah. Uh, and when Liam said about effective enough against elite offensive lines like Philadelphia's and Dallas, well. The issue with Philadelphia really is is how they use constraints to nullify pass rush and slow pass rush from T off. I. e. quarterback draws out of empty. Um a lot of stuff. Like they they really help their offensive line out. Um Dallas, sure. Um, I don't I don't think the playoff run will come down to how well Seattle's rushing the passer, like, I don't think pass rush is going to be a concern because of how mm-hmm. much they're going to run for down fronts and because I think they do have the outside linebackers to do
1: yeah. it. They'll be giving them the best chance to maximize the skill sets they have. So basically, if it's not enough, it's just a reflection of the players not progressing to where we wanted them to be. Yeah. I think. So
0: now a host of run defense questions. We sort of delved into that. Mark Bennett, will the run defense be the key weakness of our defense, floor, ceiling? uh Cheeseweasel, cheese weasel (laughs) there's been a lot of fan media concern regarding the size of the d-line is that going to be an issue when it comes to stopping the run the scheme player factor setting the edge what are the best d-line scheme strategies games seattle to use to take advantage of their fast, violent hands slash penetrating personnel and chihuahua loco My understanding is that Seahawks will use more nickel safeties to assist with run defense and simplify defensive tackle roles single gap. Is this fairly prevalent elsewhere? Seahawks may have overcorrected to help pass coverage at the expense of the run and coverage is much better than expected. Where do you want to take the run defense, Griff?
1: Um... So I don't know, how do can we synthesize all that into just how do we think the run defense is going to go this year? Yeah. So I mean the way th- I think that they're at, I mean, if you just want to throw out arbitrary comparisons, I think that their aggregate talent level, with the addition of Draymond Jones and the, the losses that they lost, um, I think they're like what eighty percent of the aggregate talent of last year. <clears throat> I think they regressed in total talent, but. I think the schematic changes they've made, even from the nickel even front that we rude last year, we now like it. One, because the techniques are conducive toward those players playing at their peak. And then also they've changed the overall structure of the of the run fit like mechanics, the run fit philosophy <clears throat> that is just really like rock solid. I mean, it, it's Pete like in his bag and Clint Hurt in his bag, like coaching their MF socks off, you could say so um so I, I really think that they can put together an average defense this year if i think that if they schemed how they're scheming right now with last year's personal i think they probably have a top five run defense um because again like people said oh they didn't have the personnel to run three four but if you look at their numbers in three four or three three last year they were giving up 3.75 yards per carry like that that is very good that is very good so they just didn't do that very much. They just didn't play 3-4 very much. They didn't play three three five very much. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, as Jen says in the chat, there's more power stepping, more one-gapping. Their third fitter from the second level is coming from the nickel, which is closer than the safety. They have a bunch of line movement now, a bunch of scheme um, that they're applying. They're not just being static in it. They have fire zones, again, to defend the run and the pass. So you're not just rushing the quarterback with it. Um, you're getting numbers in the right spot i <clears throat> they're really flexible they're really dynamic now. I think at this point it's just line up and play
0: and that word you mentioned dynamic that's what Pete carroll set out that the the objective of the uh well this season planning was and and you see that come to life big thing for me as well is how these outside linebackers are understanding when they can or, or when they need to spill the ball outside to the unblocked secondary force player be it a cloud corner be it a um a backer scraping over the top of them, or even be it like a safety coming down in sky run support in cover three, mm-hmm. like there's, it's so much better. Like you, you're gonna see it, guys. You are gonna see it. I'm we're really bullish, and it's crazy how um that one training camp clip uh, of rookie minicamp yeah. or something, just the power stepping nose in nickel, it it. The, the, it's hard to a explain in a one part po- in, in like one little podcast answer how important that is but the knock-on effects the way that everything is it's a complete transformation of their scheme is much more like um how seattle did things in the past but adapted to the current skill sets that they have on their roster and the fact that they want to run nickel so much because ultimately they want to get four man pass rush they want to get their outside backers going 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 playing fast um yeah it's awesome um so we w- Griff, you had been concerned regarding the size of the D line uh, in terms of mass, but now you've seen how they're playing. Is it less of a concern given they they seem to have answers to kind of alleviate the stress that they may come under, and then um, yeah, you know, the way that yeah. everyone else is playing around them.
1: I mean, th- there are still going to be moments like when they get even eleven or per- well, yeah, even eleven personnel. And they get duo. I think like the the through technique is probably going to get moved a lot. Like we're going to see a lot of that this year, whether it's Draymond the, Jones or Reed or Mike Morris, hmm. they're going to get uprooted a little bit. But again, if everyone else is doing their job, you can accommodate that. Yeah. Like the um, back
0: is a flying downhill to get the double off yeah. that, that three tech or just make the play. It's just much cleaner at the second, second level, how they fit that run. And then they have like the fire zone to, to right. get the double off immediately. Like, right.
1: Yeah. I mean, you, you, you beat things with, with, uh, so if like in the past it was all structure pre-snap and like technique post snap now it's going to be basically structure post snap and then speed post snap and it's you're going to be less of a you're going to be less of a like technique team now like technique still matters but but f- f- uh, f- at the core of it f- f- it's you're, you're just you're just trying to be um you're, you're you're attacking scheme with scheme now, and you're, that will allow the the strength of the D line, which is probably speed, to be accentuated at all times. So it's yeah, like if it it goes to show that if you don't scheme the run game, if you act like the run game doesn't actually matter, it will begin to matter statistically. So if they simply act like it matters without overdoing it, they can they can make it so that the run defense is no longer debilitating so also yeah. jaron reed i mean we only saw one dry, one series out of him but he i mean he does seem more motivated i guess is the word really than he was in green bay also hopefully they cut his snaps by like 30 percent if not, he looks more. like a
0: different player than yeah he does look like a different player. Yeah,
1: and that's also the Clint Hurt effect. I mean, he and Clint Hurt go way back, so.
0: Yeah, Clint Hurt was, we, we know for a fact, Clint Hurt was very annoyed when that didn't work out the first time. Like, Reed was his guy. Um, okay, yeah. so Tim Su kind of blending coverage of pass rush. They're both important. How do you see the team playing coverage on early downs? Do you think we'll see more cover 1-3 against teams that try to stay balanced? Uh, that's... A very uh there's a lot of factors which go into that, but what I would say and again I should there's I have more detailed numbers, but overall in the preseason, fifty eight point eight percent of the snaps were in middle field open uh coverage. Um You said fifty eight. Yeah. Yeah. But um you know, Tim, you mentioned the early downs. Honestly, uh, so the, I think they will commit in a certain way quicker than they did in the past. But you know they have these fire zones uh, and these ways. It just depends how heavy the personnel is that the other team's playing in. Yeah. If it's eleven, then there's there's stuff that they've shown that they can do in midfield open coverages, uh, four, uh, six, uh, where they. Would feel good about doing it on early downs, even against a team wanting to stay balanced. Like the yeah. way the outside backers are playing, uh, the way that they can spill into into uh, gaps, is good.
1: I think th- I think we're gonna see um, cover three for two different reasons. One, when they feel like they need to load the box for the run, but then also depending on like how you match things, it's kind of your your coward's way of playing cover one when you want really sticky coverage and you want to defend contend aggressively all three levels of the field so that includes the check down where you where you want to like defend it at the catch point not just rallying down on it Um, cover three match is trying to achieve that so i think infusing cover three on their problem down which is second down um is going to be important but that's also where they're they're going to need to also build up like a pressure game plan to pressure the quarterback to get the ball that quickly so they can tackle the check down earlier in the snap earlier in the down so I mean, maybe a little bit, but you know, fifty-eight forty-three is about the ratio they had last year. Um, maybe getting that down to like fifty-fifty, and then just trying to infuse some cover three that is pretending to be cover one, at least in its usage uh, for yeah. pass purposes on second down would, would be pretty major. But then, yeah, we're we're going to see some cover three against like twelve personnel when they're. In I know,
0: sure. I know that the charting companies like last season have Seattle's cover one usage is like quite high i'm gonna be honest with you guys that's just not that cannot be right like
1: they played more cover one the in 2021 than they did in 2022
0: the 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 issue is and it's difficult uh, you know if you're charting a game you've got a time limit you don't watch that team every week or you know your objective isn't uh to chart it uh what am I trying to say? Basically, it's wrong. Um, well, yeah. It's the way yeah. the way Seattle plays played cover three last year. And I think how they'll play it this year as well in certain times is it will look like cover one. Um, so all, a lot of the snaps which charted as cover one last year were cover three. And this preseason, they only had 14 snaps. Uh, and some of those I'm not sh- quite sure on of man coverage out of 214 um total snaps that's excluding one kneel down at the end of the packers game and yeah that and some of that was cover zero designed to stop the run um and one of it was a goal line rep so what 11 snaps to 10 snaps of, of, of man coverage they they're not going to be a man coverage team until it comes to like passing downs where they're like okay we've we got better dudes than you we've got Kello with us Akello with a spoon. <laughs> Devon with a spoon in the slot. Um we're better than you. Uh get off man coverage and yeah we'll play it. we'll send some pressure on that as well. But I don't see man being a big deal. Really where man would come into the picture more is when you're playing like Nickel Bear. Uh but they don't they haven't shown a single snap of that. They're going to be a four down front team and f- for everything to look the same it's going to be is it cover four, is it um, cover two, is it cover six, or is it cover three? It's not, but cover one is just a, it's not really going to be run. Griff?
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I concur. I echo that sentiment. Well, and the other
0: thing with cover one is, do you want Bobby Wagner manned up on a tight end?
1: Which happens occasionally. It would I mean... happen happening
0: if you want to run cover one a, a fair bit, wouldn't it? Um. So... Uh, Brandon Haddock asks, is there any contract on the roster that can be reworked to add a quality defensive tackle considering they have under $3 bucks, Who's extremely underrated they might be able to make a trade for? Not Buckner, lol. Uh I think that's over. I think that's dead. That's over, Unless yeah. Unless Seattle's made a trade. Yeah. yeah. The, the,
1: the, the, they're going to be restructuring, attempting to restructure Jamal's contract in the offseason. Beyond that, there aren't any levers they can pull, really. Yeah.
0: Limpar assist. The guys seemed contentish on cut down day that were ready to compete and happy with the scheme tweaks to stop the run. But on stream, referring to us, I think, rightly, I think, there's concern about interior defensive line depth with Mario Edwards being a starter. optimising that. Are we ready or are we short? I think they're slightly short, but it's not... You know, if you remember how Seattle approached certain position groups last year, this isn't a dissimilar approach in that they're waiting like when you have a kind of slight shortness it's creating the opportunity for someone to step up so you don't know but cam young could come in and look really stout <laughs> as a nose tackle and suddenly feel so much better about it because right. then reed can play more three uh they are slightly short but i i think that's partly by design um gotell is on the practice squad is a is a guy who can play nose if needed
1: Right. Yeah. They, it, it, would, it would just be nice if uh, some of the younger guys play to- higher or closer toward their reasonable ceiling for this year. Um, a lot kind of banks on, like, a, the feeling okay banks on that. And I don't think it's unreasonable that they play at their ceiling. It's just, will they?
0: Yeah. Uh, Scott asks which run game concepts will give our new defensive structures the most trouble? Uh, my answer to that is any pair tight ends, so like YY surface, like 12 personnel, running weak wide zone, which then cuts back off the wash on the three tech because he's getting comboed, um, cuts back off that wash and then hits like up the C slash D where Seattle, and most of the time is going to ask that backside outside backer to squeeze into the C gap. And make the ball cut back off him into the D. If that outside backer doesn't get in the C, that's where the crease is, and that was a big thing. Yeah. Um, but then it's Tyreek Smith doing it. You'd hope Boye Maffey, uh, um does a bit better on that. Um, but that's a tough one in nickel, and they'll probably fire zone when they start getting that more.
1: Right, it's ultimately going to be moving gaps when they're in nickel, because because I think they'll be I think they'll prove to defend a clean picture well. It's when they start moving gaps and they start running change-up runs at you, are they going to be able to beat that with technique? I think the answer is probably going to be no. That's where they're going to have to scheme back, the, um, scheme in response to that, like you said, with the fire zone. So it's going to be movement of their own. Uh, they'll just have to be ready for it.
0: The, the other thing is um, which Dallas had success with and the Packers hit for nine yards and then it got stuffed because their execution sucked is, again, 12 personnel, like pair trips, YY uh, with three receivers out there and then running like a pin-pull sweep and how that stresses the two four five 4 uh, over front. But then like Seattle had probably never repped that run. Um, they kind of got used to it. But uh, angles-wise, it makes it kind of tough if the outside back is too aggressive on the play side. He needs to really set the edge out there and not dip in or play as heavy as he would on other kind of concepts. Um, No hands in the bag. What is it about inside linebacker that they had put Ballor behind... Nick Ballor behind Bobby Wagner on the depth chart and not one of these guys we picked up, like Drake Thomas? I'm not hating on Ballor, but you know. um, So... The reason that Nick Ballor is behind Bobby Wagner is just um, Mike versus Jack. So in Seattle's 3-4, there's the Mike linebacker position and the Jack linebacker position. The Jack is basically like the old Will, the weak side backer. Um, Ballor is more of a Mike type, uh, kind of. Really, that's just saying he can't go in space. um, And uh, he's like a north-south player and you want him in the middle. The Jack is kind of needed more speed. Brooks is a Mike and a Jack, but he's playing Jack first string. Behind him is Devin Bush. And then Drake Thomas is behind those guys because he's a bit smaller, but also he he he'll still learning the defense. But that's why. I wouldn't read too much into that. If Bobby Wagner went down, Nick Ballor not coming in the game. Jordan Brooks is going at Mike. Devin Bush is going at Jack. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Corey Dalton, how worried should we be about Wagner presumably being... Being the lone linebacker on the field in dime, since he is the green dot player, are his assumed coverage limitations going to impact the ability to be creative with blitz looks?
1: Uh, I don't know if I don't know if we know that he really will be the lone LB in dime when they go into dime. I I think that's just a wait and see thing, but and also a way to fit him in the picture in dime is to drop a defensive lineman and have him be a bug backer and give Brooks the mic coverage uh, responsibilities that you've talked about before. Uh, Because Bobby is still a really good blitzer. I mean, he's really effective at it. So there should be snaps for him and time there.
0: What we might also see is an an instant, I I think, in nickel. I think on those kind of coverage things, um, Seattle showed a creeper where they sent their jack and then dropped their outside backer into the hook. It's a four-man rush. Doesn't look like pressure's coming. Um, if you put Brooks as the mic and Wagner as the jack, running that, then that's something that I think is going to happen. Um, but also, the green dot is kind of overplayed to me. Like, remember Julian Love did that last year for the Giants. If Wagner leaves the field, um, like then, ma- let's see who wears the green dot. I know only one player can have it yeah. in their helmet. Let's see. It'll be interesting. Yep. The guy who makes the most sense right now is Julian Love. Um, yeah. Uh, Mumatsk asked, Do you think Tariq Woolen could have problems with in breaking routes like he had in the playoffs against the 49ers in the future, or was this a product of bad linebacker play? That route was weird because like Woolen always seemed really slow to know whether he was supposed to drive on it or not. I think part of that was rookie inexperience, and then I think part of it was, um, he was hurt, he was playing a bit banged up, wasn't he? Um, yeah, I think coverage wise. Uh, on those like in breaking routes of play action, on the back three, so like this, the post safety in the two corners in the preseason, they seem to have a much better idea of who was like the the post safety was driving on on some of these deep in breakers, which hadn't happened in the past as a way of kind of making the linebackers not have to be as good. Um, like I believe it was called by um, Wade Phillips with the Falcons in two thousand three a drop kick uh, adjustment uh like driving or nailing down on the crosser, um that's something which could happen. But like in terms of woollen, I don't think it's a problem. I think it's something he'd have been told to work on. Yep. And then it's about recognising splits. Like if the receiver you're covering is a cut split then he's probably doing that. Uh, and especially the quarterbacks under the centre, then you need to be alert for he's either going to go crack the guy inside you uh and you've got to replace him in the run fit. Or he's doing that to access the into like the middle of the field easier on the inbreaker quicker. quicker. Um, Lee La how do you think these three safety looks with Diggs, Adams, and Love will be run? Um, and then Chihuahua Loco, what could will Pete do in leverage the strong depth at defensive back? Seems like we're strong in coverage but quite weak on the line and average to weak at linebacker. Uh, and Seahawk nerds. What are the most likely roles for Julian Love and Jamal Adams, respectively, if when both are 100% healthy at the same time? This is a big topic for people. Seattle's teacher, um, in light of Pete Carroll's comments, i.e. Jamal Adams and Julian Love, how do you imagine the scheme might be shaped by their two complementary skill sets? Uh, And Mr. Kerry, do you see a possible 5-on-5 formation where Love plays the linebacker when we play potent passing offenses like Cincinnati? especially if jamal gets hurt again or who do you see there so a lot lot of stuff there but griff what is what is safety slash nickel like
1: um i think when they're in too high and they go big nickel so we're assuming all three safeties in there um jamal makes a lot of sense as the big nickel because he can do i mean it's harder basically he's got a bigger presence in the box um and he can still do a lot of the coverage things that they would still ask the nickel to do um it's really exciting when they are when they insist on playing nickel against 12 personnel because they're going to load the box anyway. So that means they're going to roll love down as well. And then at that point, like love, love has been a, a down safety in a cover three team before. He's been the strong safety. And at that point, like as they motion and stuff, um, they you can just keep the the nickel and the strong safety on the same side. You don't have to flop them because it's 12 personnel anyway. It's tight end, tight end. Um, So at that point, they can almost become interchangeable. So they can do really fun things there. It keeps them really flexible um, against different um, formations they'd see. Um, And then outside of that, when they're in too high, I think Jamal can – I think Love can also be the nickel as well. Agreed. Um, I don't don't know if we'll see He looked really
0: good taking on blocks near the line of scrimmage. Yeah. In the preseason.
1: Right. I could almost see a situation
0: where – I mean, it obviously depends slightly on what the off- opposing offense is doing or trying to do and what they're presenting, but you're definitely going to get times where it looks like they're playing left and right uh, with the safeties, and it's like a three-safety thing in, like, middle field close stuff. Um, but, yeah, Love is, like, uh, in between Adams and Diggs in simple terms. But Adams is... Right. it Adams is... uh. Yeah, he he can do everything. Like he's and and Love Love can do everything slightly more slanted towards like a nickel skill set whereas Adams can yeah. do everything and slightly more slanted towards a box safety skill set.
1: Right. Right. Well there's cool overlap and then it's also cool where they don't overlap because then you use them accordingly.
0: So Yeah. It's going to be it's going to be fun and we were saying before we got on air how yeah. I think before we got on air, how this is all perfect for Jamal Adams. Like this is this is a dream yeah. for him.
1: when he's ready to go, he's going to be inserted into a skin because they're blitzing the nickel too, um, and 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 not just blitzing the nickel, but like the nickel's the boot player against play action now. Uh, when you get when you get field when you get field under center or a play action boot to the field, zone action to the boundary, they they have it so that that guy can crash the boot. I mean, you want Jamal coming down like a crazy person on the quarterback. Right. Um, and like their
0: base, their, their base over kind of reduced overlook. Adams is the strong safety adding onto that. It's going to be awesome. Same with Julian Love. Um, this is, this scheme is going to accent the safety talent Seattle has and the outside back talent as we spoke about. Um, Mr. Carey asking about a f- possible five-one-five formation. That would be Nickel Bear and we haven't seen that. Now... Maybe they unfurl it, but I just don't think that's in their plans. They want to run in nickel four guys, so they just rush four and get past rush with four and let the two outside backers scream off the edge without having to worry about coverage or you know having too much space and having been able to adjust at the second level easily.
1: Yeah, and they've they've schematically committed so much to getting like. Bear space post snap out of, out of the, their of four or looks like it, it definitely is signaling that they don't think they need nickel bear they've done what is necessary to not need it um because again like it's so flexible now in ways that it wasn't last year last year it was so static this yeah. year they've got so many built-in answers to things and
0: yeah th- this year a lot of the way they fire zone and nickel is basically creating bare spacing like right um or five or at least down.
1: at least like five down under spacing. Yeah. Or five down over spacing, yeah. you know.
0: Yeah, that's that's important. Yeah, thank you.
1: Like if you can't get true odd space post snap, at least get five man under space, you know? Um
0: yeah. So James Tomlinson just wanted a recap of the defensive possibilities you might see getting Tariq and Devin Witherspoon playing outside cornerback and then Devon moving into the nickel is there any tape you can go off in the preseason that would suggest the Seahawks will use more man coverage of higher blitz percentage in 2023? So that second part we've kind of answered, but yeah. uh, Rick Woolen, and, and Devin Witherspoon, how, how really in week one, the way I see that playing out is Trey Brown played well enough to earn left corner, but Witherspoon will get worked into the rotations, the left corner. And then the thing is, when Witherspoon becomes the nickel that might actually be when seattle's in dime because i think it's going to be when they expect pure pass, and then they're going to do all kinds of um they can run like any coverage they want out of that um so okay you so probably so you have think- witherspoon in one slot and then uh when adams is back julian love in the other slot or maybe adams in the other slot it's mm-hmm. going to be very interesting.
1: Trey on the outside, I think ideally toward the end of the year because last year, yeah, they had a rotation with Trey Brown and Michael Jackson because they were they were still running a competition well into the season and Jackson ended up holding off Trey Brown. Um, I think that we see series where Devin gets like nickel, like a um, gets the entire series at nickel. Although you're probably right, we probably don't see Devin and Nickel on early downs unless it's like second and twenty. After a penalty or a big sack, I feel like it's going to be a third down thing. And then it's primarily going to be Trey on the outside with the first couple of weeks, Devin getting his drives or series, like you said. And then if he ends up wrestling the spot away from him, we'll only see Trey on the outside when it's those nickel or dime situations where Devin kicks in, which would be fine. Um, Because that means Devin earned the spot from a decent corner.
0: And it, again, it gets into that stage of what is the offense presenting you with because obviously Trey Brown's a shorter guy. Um, and, you know, if, if that offense, like how many offenses are going to have four genuine wide receivers? It's probably going to be a tight end you want to deal with. And then it's more advantageous maybe to have as as much of a competitor he is with a spoon still 5'11", have him on the outside and put another kind of safety type in in the slot to match up with a tight end if it's, say, three wide and and the... Or, to, uh, anyway, matchups are important, and Seattle, in theory, has all the tools to be able to match up with a variety of stuff. They just got to get their heads together, and they will have been getting their heads together on the different personnel packages because we can talk nickel and, and dime. But, uh, an example of this is the way that Seattle handles their pass rush in nickel personnel, they will call cheetah, cheetah, cheetah when they want their best four pass rushes out on the field, and that tells the D line. Cheat, I'm in the cheetah package, I'm going on. They'll have same pa- uh, the same kind of packages for their coverage groups, um, which they'll plan throughout the week. Um, so very interesting to see how that shakes out throughout the season uh, versus different opponents. Okay, uh, what would you anticipate more base defense looks while Jamal Adams and spooner out? No. No. Yeah, um, I don't
1: think so. No.
0: Uh, John Fraley, among young defensive backs on the roster, not named Dreek Wooden, Who's the next great one? Interesting. There. I mean, if we're calling Trey Brown young, because isn't he like 25 now? But um, I, th- I would. I'm going to go with uh, Jarek Reed. He looks real interesting. The move. Just you, not many guys can move like he does. And then it, you know, if it all comes together, some of the plays he made in the preseason are just like interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, Devin is the obvious answer, right? So, outside of Devin, I might go – I mean, I I like Kobe. I think Kobe can hammer out, you know, um, a role that was – You don't believe that. I do.
0: Yeah, but the next great one.
1: No, no, I'm not saying he's going to be great. I'm saying I like Kobe, but I think Jarek Reed can be a legit starting safety in the NFL. I really like his skill set. I like his burst. I like his density. I like his long speed. He clearly knows what he's doing. He knows what offenses are doing, at least as much as you can tell off of three games of preseason. So, it's crazy.
0: He looks like the the Quandre Diggs ready-made replacement. There are similarities there.
1: And, you know, he's not just doing um, – He wasn't. it wasn't just the plays where he, like, made a play on the ball not. or on the ball carrier. It's He's doing a lot of the boring stuff where, like, 90% of his plays where the ball doesn't come to him. The ball doesn't come to him on a lot of those because he's doing the boring stuff right
0: classic safety um um, stuff yeah 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 the way he like bails into like a deep post when it's he gets deep play action that was just interesting to me looked good
1: yep um uh nailing down on a dig route on a crossing route from a hard quarter i mean like efficient footwork yeah those routes those routes had no chance on him so
0: yeah uh and when Pete Carroll spoke about him, it seemed he was disappointed at his lack of special teams. And then there was like some learning stuff where I noticed one or two busts or like almost busts where I think Reed was part of that. I obviously can't attribute Blaine uh, directly to one person without knowing what's going on. But I think he just needed to learn that sort of stuff. But like, that's why you have Conjay Diggs Um, down the line. Very interesting. Um, Cameron Hughes... What exactly is power stepping, mirror stepping? And I think the other one mentioned is pure stepping if I remember it correctly. I can't infer what they are but wouldn't be able to identify it on film, thanks. Oh, you can infer what they are. Okay, so power stepping, one gap, six-inch forward step from a defense alignment uh, playing in an outside shade, striking uh, the guy in front of them responsible for one gap mirror stepping six inch lateral step looking to catch uh the angle of departure from the guy you're lined up on you're lining up inside shade or head up and it's basically one and a half or even just two gapping and then mirror stepping can also be used for um like we've used it for cornerback techniques so when you mention pure stepping uh pure stepping is a cornerback press technique where Rather than read stepping, uh, which step kick press technique, I take a six-inch lateral step with my outside foot to protect myself on the fade. After that, I read the receiver's release until he's left my frame. I don't need to kick outside when he leaves my frame. Being, I'm play, I can place my hands on him, and I'm not reaching outside of my frame. My feet are underneath me. My feet are f- still coming before the hands. When he leaves my frame, I then kick backwards out there. So. That's uh, read step in. The pure step in is you don't take that six-inch lateral step with your uh, outside foot. You're waiting and mirroring the guy at the line of scrimmage. Um, you don't need to protect yourself on the fade, and it can look a bit more like soft shoe. Um, soft shoe slightly different, uh, but yeah. Uh, Cameron, if you go on... Um, crap. Coach's insider oregon university of oregon db coach i forget his name which is bad of me he did a press man clinic with pure stepping and the uh uh read step I-, I think the read step's called a peer step a peer step so peer step and pure step but interestingly richard sherman when he was talking to pete carroll pete carroll said how he had um to eat woolen um pure stepping uh and he is a pure stepper. I asked Pete Carroll about that in uh, Germany and Munich. Like, how does he decide? He just says, watching guys. Because uh, they get so much time with these dudes. Right. Uh, Cameron also asked, this question from one of your streams a couple of weeks ago. What exactly is Palms coverage? Um, Cameron, the other stuff, uh, we'll answer another time. But yeah, Palms coverage. So, involves three players. People often forget about the third player. Um, Form of middle field open. Corner reads number two. Safety reads number two. We'll start with those two players. If number two generally... If number two is out within five yards, the corner breaks and takes number two and the safety works over the top of the number one receiver. If number two is not out within five yards, the corner covers deep and the, the safety covers the two right griff
1: yeah with inside leverage within... it's a form of it's a form of quarters basically with a specific rule that can make it look like cover two post snap it yeah. allows the corner allows the corner to be the flat defender when needed in quarters typically he's not the flat defender it's that third player that you alluded
0: to At- And in Seattle's system, they'll often check like a middle field open coverage into Palms when they have a slot formation. So the number two receiver is detached to that side of the field. Um, What's cool about Palms is how it impacts that third player we mentioned, which could be an inside backer, could be a strong safety. But his read um, is basically off the third player in the coverage, Griff. Because if the third player in the coverage breaks out very quickly and the corner and the safety are reading the number two, that can quickly outflank the coverage unless you have that third player breaking with three on the flat. Mm-hmm. If three's not flat, he just drops into the curl, right? Is that the simplest explanation?
1: Um, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But if three's flat, he takes three f- through to flat, right?
1: Yes, he does. The-, yeah. the other thing with palms is, you know, usually it's quarters, right? So you have a quarter flat defender, but because you again it's a palms read it two read the corner can can play that it allows the the near that third defender whether it's the nickel or the will allows him if if the running back say it's two by two formation so only two receivers so to the palm side if the running back blocks he knows he can kind of gain a little bit of depth so he can help on the inbreakers a little bit more and kind mm-hmm. of curl drop like it's cover two like you can cheat a little bit that's how the 49ers do it Robert that uh, you know, they do it the way Coach Sala's, um coached it, and he just gets all of his palm stuff from Pete Carroll for the most part. And, so I imagine you can still weaponize that, that zone defender, and he's not just a flat defender. He can actually yeah. gain some depth.
0: <laughs> and what I love about it is how it helps you fit the run because the third defender, if they're three, they're reading the three. So their three is often a running mm-hmm. back. So... um they can really help out against the run easier. Um, and so when you add like a pressure to that as well, and a, or a line movement, um, and then have a guy who's like the third player in the palms coverage, their coverage really fits how they defend the run and the way they defend the run really fits their coverage and, and it, it all just blends together nicely. Um, all right. Anamph griff we're answering all these questions
1: we, we gotta let's just do a speed round let's let's Would love through. to know how
0: former pete carroll assistants scheme up defenses jets cowboys 49ers that make them more effective than seahawks current d uh they accent their outside linebackers the way seattle's doing now um the cowboys play a lot of cover one man gapped out stuff um and lots of safeties so seattle's kind of doing lots of safeties thing that the cowboys do the Jets are fake, but they do the accenting of the outside backers with like tackle and exchange games uh, into zone in a kind of similar way to Seattle is spiking their outside backers, but more fake. And then the 49ers have a ridiculously talented front and were also fake. They,
1: they all have one thing in common, and those D-lines are insane. You know, yeah. those, those three teams are all like, they're three of the top five defensive lines in the league right now. Yeah, And credit to the coaches, they they, they harness that to the full extent. Uh, they f- take full advantage out of it. But, I mean, the Jets' D-line is insane. Cowboys' D-line is insane. The 49ers' D-line, when healthy, is insane. So yeah. a lot, a lot is there. Now, keep that in mind. The Seahawks had, over the last 12 weeks of the season last year, better pass defense than two of those teams. And that's without a four-man rush, even remotely close to what those three teams had. So they're on the up and up, especially if is for real, Derek Hall can contribute early and Taylor can put together a full season. And Draymond Jones, good player.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Their scheme is kind of fake, but I'd say Seattle's doing elements of what they're doing now. So Almagar, and the reason that it's elements of what they're doing because Dan Quinn... Pete Carroll, Jets, Robert Sala, Pete Carroll, Diners, Robert Sala, basically, Pete Carroll. Yeah. Um, Al McGrath, is quarter, quarter, half, cover three or cover six? Uh, can it be both? Uh, no, Qu- quarter, quarter, half is cover six. How do defensive decide who's covering quarters and who's covering the half? Strong side of the formation or the hashes? So quarter, quarter, half, cover six is setting the quarter side to the strength. So you could call the strength off the field, uh, so the wide side of the field, you could call the strength of where the most receivers are. Um, that's the two ways that teams do it. Generally in the NFL, because the hash marks are tighter, they're going to play the strength to where the most receivers are. Um, the inverse of quarter, quarter, half is half, quarter, quarter, which the Vic Fangio tree calls cover eight. Scott Myers, who are your five all-time favorite Seahawks? Griff, rapid fire, come on.
1: Um, uh, uh, Sean Alexander. Sorry, I know it's a normie opinion, but wow. Alexander. he's got resonance from when I was just a young lad. Fair um, way. uh, Cam Chancellor, Bobby Wagner, Michael Bennett, Earl Thomas.
0: Yep, mine, uh, Cortez Kennedy, Marshawn Lynch, um, Cam Chancellor. Oh, I didn't
1: even say Richard Sherman, bro. Yeah, I, I... <laughs> too many of
0: them. <laughs> That's um Yeah. Uh Doug Baldwin because also uh not just for the player he is, but the way he he's a real cool guy right now. Um and then I've got two more.
1: Yeah, you spent three. Uh
0: Richard Sherman and uh, man, old Thomas was so cool. There you go. Um I film bad for not including the D Lyman but you know, I'm, right. I'm a it's coverage guy. Which current college quarterback do you think best fits the Seahawks team right now? Shadur Sanders. There we go. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Probably Drake May. Yeah, if you're that's uh and then a and, and then, I mean, I mean Drake fits everything. Caleb, you you'd let him. Caleb fits a lot of what they're doing, but you would definitely build things around Caleb a little bit differently. Have you seen Shadur
0: throw the dig? I've not oh man it was nice that uh, one tcu
1: did the arkansas guy come out jefferson no he'd be interesting honestly like he'd be a fun third round pick to have on your bench for a while yeah
0: fun fifth round pick maybe um
1: fifth round pick
0: yeah no he'll probably probably test like anthony richardson and go crazy high um (laughs) I want to know what differences you think we'd see if the NFL was based in Europe instead, if possible. From Nate, uh, the main difference would be there'd be no salary cap, so it'd be like aggressive hyper capitalism, and all the all the all the good teams would be owned by like Saudi Arabia, Qatar, um, Russian oligarchs before that thing happened, um, and it would be uh, crazy. It would be, it'd be and amazing. there'd be less parity you'd have relegation and promotion right uh,
1: but that, that's a good thing though because the semi-pro the college player equivalent they're all getting paid in semi-pro leagues or you'd probably have a really
0: league. cool feeder league um right. and, and yeah. much better player development um all these uh, players and, that
1: get cut would have a roster to fall into
0: yeah and then each country well were well, are saying the nfl based in europe so that doesn't apply but yeah anyway it, it would be interesting but the aggressive hyper-capitalism uh, in terms of the, the, the way that the TV revenue is distributed and stuff in Europe um, and then the, the way that they fund the grassroots and those like lower teams is super dodgy and the sustainability of it is highly questionable Like moving forward, but I've been saying that for years anyway. My team, Newcastle, was owned by uh, Saudi Arabia, so there you go. Brilliant. <laughs> Taylor K. Long, more of a prompt than a question. I'd love to hear a bit about everyone's journey for learning ball. If there were specific games, players, etc., that made you want to learn, who or what your favorite resources were, etc., Hashtag Seattle Overload. I should say Nate used the hashtag Seattle Overload. About four people used the hashtag. Do you have problems following instructions? Because <laughs> we had 61 questions, people, and we only four of them. you could use a hashtag. <clears throat> Be better. Okay. You guys
1: have made Maddie angry.
0: Uh, yeah but taylor my main thing was obviously the legion of boom like wanting to understand a bit more like how it actually worked, um and like how they were so good at just doing supposedly one thing and like right. you know which we learned would...
1: is like not as true as it sounds
0: right not as true as it sounds obviously narratives happen um and then like you know people would post that nick saban's cover three rules but it turns out seattle had their own cover three rules which are really cool so wanted to yeah. know about that then another thing I remember is, uh, wanting to know like how Sean McVeigh was doing everything so well, cause he took the league by storm and the way he's like his series offense kind of approach, especially at the start was very intriguing to me, Griff.
1: Yeah. I mean, very similar. There was a, a desire to want to like, understand like what I was seeing because I was so intrigued, like watching them play and everything they were doing, but then, um, you know, I would see, you know, very smart people discussing something very unique. And it, it, it jumped out at me like a piece of really cool trivia, like a piece of lore. And I'm like, oh, that's a cool thing. I wonder, are there other players that can do that? And then it's that snowballs. Then eventually you start to learn like cover three match rules. And then you start to learn, OK, well, why cover three, though? Like, what's the actual theory behind it? I know the rules, but now why? And then that just kind of starts a journey of really trying to understand like why anything, like why an overfront? Okay. I know what an overfront is, but why an overfront versus an underfront here? Um, So those kind of questions. And then I've learned so much football just through like asking you questions and like that journey, like it's like the, like, like a, like the Socratic, that sounds, that's way too self-absorbed, but it's just, um, always like being an, inquisitive an, and, an instant, yeah like we've and, answered a lot of our own questions just through like noticing patterns and conferring with one another but, yeah but Griff, then all, yeah
0: yeah Griff and I would would um message each other loads but the the main thing most of the time was trying to work out how Seattle's defense is working but um yeah the, you'll be the, surprised uh, how nice people are like coaches on Twitter yes just just dm them or or just tweet them like we we harassed basically jake heaps asking him about how seattle was playing a coverage Um, and we got
1: a really vital piece of information and and we got
0: huge answer eventually from jake um so you know there's there's all these sorts of stuff that you can do Um, yeah there's go ahead a lot of it's pattern recognition, though, because like you can see one play, even now I'll see one play and be like, that looks weird or odd, but then you'll see it in a similar situation down the line. You're like, oh, that's what was going on there because they got a different thing from the offense yeah. Um, yeah. or vice versa. Uh, but big resources were uh, Bo Pelini 2013 installing Nebraska's defense.
1: Oh, it's, that's on YouTube, or at least a that's lot of it.
0: That's pretty useful. It's on YouTube, yeah and then the, uh yeah obviously other, other things but just
1: yeah. say, the 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 first like football like x and o blog i just i came across was the Brophy football blog of which coach Vass. a lot of you probably heard about coach Vass. he he wrote on that a little bit and that that got up and running in like 2007 08 09 and i remember reading a lot of it like in 2014 15 and not really knowing what i was reading but i went back to it and i reread like the same five articles like 10 times over around 2017 2018 20 like 2018 really and then things started to click and then also there was there was the um the USC Trojan football analysis blog oh which was like rest that in was peace that was where I learned what a bear front was what an eagle front was and, and that's that, still you know, on web
0: archive because I I delved into that when I was researching yeah. how Pete ran bear at USC but that is right. incredible and,
1: and, and and that just gave me like working knowledge of some of the vocabulary. Again, I didn't know what to do with it or how to apply it, but I knew like it was interesting to me. Yeah. And then you know it just snowballs. And like but anything, truly, it's I,
0: I I started watching football in twenty twelve without the internet and the kindness of other people. And I only really started caring fully about scheme in twenty like fifteen after playing Madden. Like it, you know, the internet is so powerful, but you just have to be persistent and. Like, you know, you, you can have, like, a surface-level interest. That's, that's fine. I appreciate it doesn't have to be as nerdy and weird as we make it sometimes. But mm-hmm. um, if you want to really learn, it's just, like, a constant uh, thing. But a good starting point is asking people, searching key terms on YouTube, uh, on Twitter, uh, the amount of coaching clinics. Like, you might get lost by – you don't need to know all the terminology. But the, the big thing is that inquisitive uh, – like, why did that player do that on that play? How did it help the teammate next to them? Uh, and do not watch the ball. Like, th- that's that's the other thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Chihuahua Loco said, "Who are other good football experts and resources to learn about football?" Uh, well, I mentioned Nate Tice earlier. Nate Tice, Deontay Lee, uh, the stuff they do at the Athletic. Um, and Nate got a job for you, Yahoo, Yahoo, Yahoo Sports where he's gonna write a column i think on the nfl i mean in terms of their football coverage that's that's great in, in terms of like learning technical football uh coaches inside uh the the coaching clinics they have they have night coach of the year clinics check that out it's fairly cheap to, Co- to coach tube
1: as well a lot is on youtube any term you hear like palms coverage you can youtube palms coverage there are some shorter videos and if and if you just watch it and then rewatch it a couple times it will you'll digest it and then you'll start to kind of grasp it also you can search key terms on twitter and you'll find coaches and film twitter breaking it down in digestible like morsels and you'll learn it because it's
0: because it's about understanding the rules because like when it comes to palms coverage it's like all you need to see is a rep of two going out in five yards a rep of two going vertical a rep of two going in and then three fast three flat with the same stuff
1: and then, and then you have, you know, a, a foundation of understanding, you know, what palms is supposed to do at least, like is supposed to look yeah. like, you know.
0: Um, all right. Is there? Is that, here we go, Michael. Is there a way to watch a football team in the United States? I assume you mean my the London Olympians. That some of our games are live were live streamed. Search it on YouTube. See us, uh, How our playoffs ended. Um, see how fraudulent I am um which is your favorite fruit and why I've been getting into nectarines a lot lately yum nectarines is a great shout but they make my throat itch and they make me Mm. like cough but nectarines are amazing Mm -hmm. I I agree nectarines solid Mm -hmm. like you can't if a nectarines ripe I don't think you can beat it I don't know why people would choose a peach over nectarine
1: um I wonder if most people's experience with peach is like what you get in the the mason jars where it's suspended and like right sticky and, and delicious see i think a lot of fruit that is perfectly ripe is amazing i just it's so hard for me to get fruit that is like perfectly ripe i get a lot of hard nectarines, and hard yeah juices, well that's i I'd, I'd suggest out checking mango. out
0: checking out nectarines because they're always oh, I love pretty nectarine. good you know what it's i'm hard to mess one up.
1: There? you know what i'm gonna throw in there pears a perfectly ripe pear is really
0: good Nice, and really? you know what's a, a nice a nice dessert? If you're not signing up for the top five run defense and Skittles, a poached pear in masala with um with uh, like a like a a creme a creme fraiche or yeah, that's a nice pudding. Very, very interesting, Matty. With a very bit of uh, cloves in there or something. That's Nigella okay. Lawson. Are you familiar with Nigella? No okay well you should familiarize yourself with that <coughs> wonderful lady uh is matty planning a move across the pond Our sea sports fan i wish it's quite hard to get to america When uh,
1: as soon as pete carroll hires him
0: yeah yeah so basically just at the seahawks and be like hey you should hire matty uh, and griff and they can just no, obsess matty. about your defense for you <laughs> then work but yeah it's ve- visas are very difficult like very difficult um is there a Seattle Overload Fantasy League? No. Chihuahua Loco, I would like to know more about the backstories about the host. How do you come together to make the podcast? Do you meet in real life? <laughs> um, What do you do outside we of the meet podcast? In real life. Uh, we don't meet in real life. We will do one day, but Griff is in America. I am in the UK. Griff is in Seattle. I am in London. That's far away. Um, How we met is, uh, I think Griff was on the, like, correct side of tom cable discourse and i was like defending tom cable
1: you so you weren't the way i viewed that 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 thread in hindsight so our first interaction was was adversarial it wasn't an argument we we were we were we were were playing nice but we were disagreeing with each other and i had no idea who you were i don't think you'd ever see me before um and but i you weren't i don't even remember if you were defending tom so much as you were just like drawing it was schneider maybe, maybe schneider yeah but but you were like drawing the lines of like we need to define what is quarterback and what is what is what is yeah you know, player like it, what is the the coach and stuff and, Russell. It, <laughs> and yeah it kind of worked out. and i think what we realized is that we both like in hindsight like would half agree on that thread um Because Cable was bad, but that doesn't mean that the other things we were seeing wasn't also what you were saying, Wilson. Anyway, but then later on, we're both kind of doing our own thing. And then there's a play, I think, that Sam Gold posts of a cover three play. And it was like weak rotation, cover three versus empty. And I thought it was quarters. And I thought, oh, no, wait, maybe it isn't quarters. You suggested to Sam what you thought it was. And then I asked you a question. I thought, wait a second, I thought in cover three only the weak hook matches. Why does it look like the mic is carrying? And then you were like, Yeah, that's weird. And then we talked about it in the in the thread, in the the DM, and then you eventually found an example of the exact coverage on Cody Alexander, which as he is a great resource um, website. Oh, yeah. Do you remember, do you remember this? Yeah, and that yeah, was what yeah. started our DM thread, and then a friendship flowered, and then a podcast happened, and then us raging about Cover three and everything, and that, thats how it. That's how, how the real conversation started. I don't. I don't. I just remember like all that right now, but it was a very sincere. Like you were like, "Oh, this guy is like trying to figure it out." I'll yeah, di- get- I'll dialogue with him, and I was like, "Oh, he's really into this shit." Okay, I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna go on with this conversation.
0: Yeah, with yeah. sickos. That's right. <laughs> um, and then the first podcast that. Uh, OG Seattle overload fans will know it was um a Jordan Brooks reaction and then um like we watched the tape wow Jordan Brooks is pretty good yep. but I think we wanted to do a podcast just where we could ramble but we we've, we've become a bit more structured hopefully uh, as well, we well, approach over 2 hours it was
1: yeah, it was classic. Two white guys who were talking. You're like, "Bro, we should do a podcast." Yeah, we should like just do a podcast. Um, That's
0: a new idea. Uh, uh, yeah, trendy. Yeah. Um
1: But also, I think we wanted an excuse not to waste our time talking about it. So we were like, "Let's get." Mm. So at least
0: make it um, feel like. We're and doing we productive. will. We will meet one day. We can do a live show. Um, and what do I do outside the podcast? I do the Seahawks on tape. Substack. Subscribe. Um, yeah, Daniel. Um, I- Twitter, was ein Humburg. Did you watch Swamp Kings? What do you think about documentaries like this? Do you have any added value to you? Uh, Did we watch? I didn't. What do I I think about documentaries like this? I think they're uh, just PR, uh, sports washing. Do they have any added value to you? No. So I mentioned Newcastle United. They had a documentary where they... uh, it was just like a, a massive PR puff piece for their ownership, the Saudi Arabians. It starts in Riyadh, the capital of Saudi Arabia, with the PIF, um, Public Investment Fund, um, director. Um, and their, their attempts to deal with the subject of sports washing are really poor. Um, they're just a waste of time. But I watched it because I'm a Newcastle fan, and Florida fans will have watched Swamp Kings and loved it, even though like none of the interesting parts of that were mentioned. And it seems like an urban Maya kind of from the outside an urban Meyer, um, like PR, like rehabilitation, uh, campaign for him to be their head coach, uh, next season, <laughs> Griff.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I do not, uh, watch swamp Kings Brilliant. or Brilliant. I don't know what that county <laughs> championship is, but does it have any added value marketing. to you? Not to me because I don't even know what it is. So it couldn't possibly add value.
0: Swamp King—it's about the flow of the Gators, but it ignores like all of the stuff that was actually interesting. Oh, about is that, that what
1: is that what that was? Okay, it was like yeah. a PR puff piece, right? Yeah. <clears throat> oh, good question.
0: You'll like this question. Do you, do you, do you know what this is? It's not Quidditch.
1: Let l- l- Let's get fake deep. Oh, are you talking about the county championship? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have no idea what that is. Is that soccer?
0: No. Who does Matty root for in the county championship from Anamth? Um, the county championship, for listeners who are less familiar, is a cricket a cricket thing. So okay. every county in uh, England pro- has a cricket team. Okay. So like back in the olden times, and still, but the like highest honor would be representing your county uh, in cricket. And there are certain counties that are really proud of that, like Yorkshire, for instance. Yorkshire County Cricket, massive deal uh, and some controversies there. But anyway, my county championship team is, and you'll enjoy this, Griff, everyone enjoys it, is Middlesex. That's my county.
1: Is that in the middle of Wessex?
0: Uh. Kind of, you know what? I don't actually. Is that know. why they
1: call it Middlesex?
0: I mean, <laughs> that's an interesting because it's Sussex. It, it's in the middle, kind of like it's it, it's uh well, it's not, but it's in. Uh, so the county's name derives from its origin as the Middle Saxon province of the Anglo-Saxon Kingdom of Essex. Mm. But like, anyway. But the cool thing about Middlesex is when they're playing short form cricket, so not a mm-hmm. uh, test match, which happens over five days, but like uh, limited overs, so like limited balls uh, pitched or bowled, mm-hmm. um, they play in pink. How cool is that?
1: That is cool. A uh, good friend and just all around awesome guy and very accomplished author, Shiv Ramdas on Twitter. Um, he's a big account. He's been gracious enough to teach me about cricket and i actually have some working knowledge about cricket now and um it's a i mean that's it's a hilarious sport like it's a great sport and i'm surprised it never caught on here obviously we it's too of have complicated for the american baseball you know yeah yeah
0: you yeah. need your rounders
1: um because they play cricket in australia right
0: yeah but they, they play also cricket play, all over the world well except, except i say for America, all over the world so there is you, kind of a theme between uh uh you know that that whole uh empire thing
1: <laughs> yeah 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 um because it's played in latin or uh, it's played in the um the caribbean right
0: yeah also? west indies
1: so I, I wonder i wonder how baseball and cricket overlap intersects in australia culturally just because of the the very you know very like minor similarities of you've got a stick and a ball and you
0: well i don't think is baseball thing in australia oh yeah
1: oh yeah they, they play ba- i mean it's it's part of I the, think, the i pacific, imagine baseball's um, for failed pacific cricket ring. players well so baseball is huge <clears throat> excuse me in the pacific ring
0: and right so like and
1: like like australia sends some players to the majors into other competitive baseball leagues really oh yeah the the mariners have a guy ryan Rowland smith i mean baseball is it's a it has a foothold in australia
0: it's just for it's just for chuckers. Are you familiar with the, the term chucker?
1: Is that like the pitcher?
0: It's illegal bowling. Because like, when you bowl, you have to have a straight right, arm. So it if bowling. you're chucking, you're...
1: Maybe, maybe. But I imagine if you grew up playing cricket, you probably grew up playing baseball in Australia and vice versa.
0: Mm, well, similar skills, I just think, it's failed cricket players. That's you know, so uh, divisive.
1: Australia has a really cool embrace of alternative sports because cause th- th- they'll play... They'll play rugby union, rugby league, and then they've got their own Aussie rules football,
0: which is crazy. And, and like, is literally surpri- uh, supplying all of the college football punting network. Like every college yeah. football punter is an Aussie yeah. rules player.
1: Yeah, yeah. Cool. If if they played actual gridiron, they'd be maniacs. Um,
0: wow. So, Griff, Fats McClure again, very generous. Very this is the start of, you, of my Fats. move to the Pacific Northwest Fund. We you can live in my basement. Fats, very kind. Um
1: very kind of you, sir.
0: We do divide all donations between the three of us. Um now, the final question, Griff, something to go out on. We've we've done it, we made it here. Non football from Beelzebubba. Yeah. What is Let's more beautiful? Fake the emptiness of space, our sun. Or the black hole our galaxy may spin around and why
1: see isn't it cool that humans can take things that can kill us and find beauty in it
0: right like, like that um have, did you see oppenheimer
1: yeah yeah the, the about
0: it yeah. the uh the 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 explosion was very beautiful
1: yeah it was and like in a it, it inspired awe like in the biblical use of the word awe where like it's terrifying but amazing at the same time um I think the sun because the to me what's beautiful about space isn't the lack of stuff it's all the things that you can find in that emptiness so like the stars right like a pitch black sky with with stars is beautiful and by extension that's light ergo the sun I think the sun is the most beautiful thing it gives us life it's amazing that something emitting energy and light has led to what we've got here on this planet, teeming with life and everything. That's very cool. It's very cool. And the cool fact to have that
0: the sun. eventually even the sun will end.
1: True, true. Or forever. And now the black hole. I don't would I wouldn't use the word beautiful. I think it's terrifying, but it's equally fascinating. The black hole might be the most fascinating of all three of those things. But I don't think it's the most beautiful. I think the sun is the most beautiful. The black hole is the most fascinating, and emptiness of space. I mean, I don't. I, I think it's the things that occupy space that's beautiful. All right. Although
0: we'll the the emptiness is beautiful in that you don't matter. You're insignificant. In a
1: metaphysical way. Yeah. Now, so you can you can take that though and you can derive meaning because it's to say, who's to say that you're no, wait, what I less significant
0: than another little dot. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. Like it means you get to imbue yours. You get to, you get to be in charge of what you imbue with meaning. There mm-hmm. isn't some, but yeah, and of course, if you got a different belief system, that's great too. But, it's all love here at Seattle Overlook,
0: But yeah, the sun, the sun and how, yeah, the sun, we're going to go with the sun, right? thanks everyone lovely questions we should do mailbags more often because that's a lot of questions and we haven't really previewed the seahawks season
1: you guys did a great job with all the questions because yeah thank you guys um
0: what's their record this year
1: uh 12 and 5
0: 12 and 5 let's go well
1: i mean that's a foregone conclusion they'll win 12 games
0: of course of course i think 11 and 6 all right thank you everybody have a good evening night morning day Goodbye.